Father, I'm thankful that you make the statement in Psalm 56 through your psalmist. He says, this I know that God is for me. And if there's anything we doubt as men, it's that concept. As we go throughout our day, because we would, well, we would like to be without sin, but we're not. Now, our sins have been forgiven in Christ, but as we are walking through life, we fall short. Um, we, uh, we disappoint ourselves, and we know we disappoint you. We, we do it with our thoughts. We do it with our, with our words. We do it with our actions. How thankful we are for that truth that you are for us. And you've proven it. You, uh, you came after us. We didn't come after you. We weren't even seeking you. But you sought us, and we love you because you first loved us. You said to your disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go forth and bear fruit, that your fruit might remain. They, they were men just like us, we, we are amazed that you are for us. And you never waver in that. You never deviate from that. Your grace and your mercy are more consistent than those falls at Niagara. You can go there at three in the morning or three in the afternoon. You can go there in the middle of summer or in the middle of winter, and it just keeps flowing. And your grace and mercy keeps flowing to us because you're for us. We're amazed by that. And we can never hear that enough. You're our Father. Now, it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you don't ever discipline us. That's part of it. Hebrews 12 is a father disciplines his son. So the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. There are times, Lord, when we start to deviate, we start to go down a wrong path, and uh, you'll check us. And if we don't listen to that uh, break that you put on our conscience and we keep going, and we keep going, you'll discipline us. You love us enough to keep us from going around wrong trails. Um, you're for us, that's why you're doing it. You care, that's why you're doing it. Uh, you, you know if we keep going down that trail, you, you know what the end's going to be, so you just interrupt us. A lot of times you interrupt our plans. A lot of times you actually kill our dreams. Because you know where those dreams would actually take us, and we probably couldn't handle it. So you take away those dreams, you dash them, and then the whole time, you had something much better intended for us that, well, 
There's no comparison. And that's all because you're for us. Help us to be mindful of that. This I know that God is for me. Uh, you sent your son. You gave him up freely. How will you not give us all things? Romans 8.32 says. In your time and your way. So we trust you with our lives. Tonight, as we open the word, give us, uh, give us clarity. If uh, there are areas where we are not quite open, well, work on us. Get our attention. Uh, remove stubbornness from our hearts and our wills. Make us uh, compliant to what you desire to do. That's always the best path. We would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians. We are tackling this uh, semester here the, the concept of, of finishing strong in the Christian life, the, the metaphor of a race is used from time to time in Scripture. We're running a race. And the classic passage on that would be, there are several passages, but one of the classics would be Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and contextually, that would be the men and some women named in Hebrews 11 who preceded us, who have finished their race, but they, uh, they walk by faith. Or you could say they ran by faith. Without faith, Hebrews, says, Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen, it says earlier. Uh, we all, all of us, all of us, there's at least one area in your life that you can't get your arms around and you can't quite seem to get control of. And it worries you and it bothers you. It's an area where you would like to have security. It's an area that you would like to have together. It might be your health. It might be... Uh, one of your kids who, who you, you raised in the truth, but they are just running away from the truth, and you wish you could pull them back and control them and change their hearts, but you can't. Only God can do that. Might be a broken relationship. I mean, once again, it, it, it could be, it could be uh, uh, a physical affliction where you were once strong and now you find yourself deteriorating. This happens in life. And whenever we start breaking down, it can be a knee, it can be, uh, it can be our heart, it can be our mind. Whenever we start breaking down, well, we don't want to break down because we're men and we want to be in control. So this can hit us in a number of different ways, but whatever the area is in that particular area where you have been afflicted, you're having to walk by faith. 
You're having to trust God. In that particular, and, and maybe your buddies aren't, but you are. I mean, in this area where you're afflicted, all your close friends, they seem to be fine. But for some reason, this is what you're dealing with. So you're walking in faith here. They're walking by faith somewhere else. But every one of us in here is somewhere walking by faith. And that never changes as long as we're on the earth. You see? Um, so the people in Hebrews 11 are the great cloud of witnesses that is mentioned in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are, they finished the race, we're running the race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us as we run, and let us run uh, the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I left out two words. Uh, it actually says in that verse, let us run the race with endurance. That's very, very important because it's a hard race. Uh, so Dean uh, mentioned earlier that to celebrate his 50th birthday, he ran 50 miles. And we immediately questioned his sanity. <laughs> I mean, are you healthy? Great. Well, then why would you brutalize yourself running 50 miles? I mean, he seems normal. There's obviously an issue there somewhere. But I mean, good for him. But, uh, you, you know, that, to run 50 miles and to train for 50 miles were the guys that run the ultra marathon, which are the 100-mile races. They embrace pain. They embrace suffering. They embrace adversity. Uh, to be able to run 50 miles at a stretch or 100 miles at a stretch, you've got to train at such a level that you are choosing consistently pain in order to achieve a higher goal. Now, in a sprint, you don't need endurance. In a sprint, it's over before you know it. But this is not a sprint, this Christian life. It's a very, very, as Eugene Peterson titled one of his books, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Um, uh, the book of Philippians, I'd like you to turn over there with me. And, and we're, we're going to kind of break this down a little bit. Um, this, this concept of running the race and actually how we run the race and as we've talked about this, oh, the last couple of weeks, afterwards, I've had, you know, some interaction with guys up here, just kicking around some of these ideas. And I've had several guys ask me, so then what you're really talking about here is the whole concept of sanctification. And yeah, that's what we're talking about. And, you know, big, big word, but well, what does that mean? Well, when we come to know Christ, first of all, let's say this. When we come into existence, when, when you are born, uh, we are born physically alive but spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Um, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's why you don't ever have to teach your children to, to lie. You don't ever have to teach your kids to be deceitful. You don't ever have to teach your kids to look you straight in the eye I mean, talking little, little tiny kids. They come out of the womb, little sinners. And they're very adept at a very early age. It's just in them, obviously, came down through your wife's side of the family. <laughs> and uh, they've been tainted. 
but uh, you're tainted too. So we, we have kids and we're all excited, but they're all born little sinners. So at some point in our lives, um, what we pray for for our children and for those we love, we pray that they will be, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that they will be born again. What does that mean? It means that in an instant, you are regenerated by the Spirit of God internally, invisibly. Uh, you are made alive if you track down through Ephesians 2. But even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive. And at that moment, the Spirit of God works. Uh, it's invisible, but there is a work where you hear the gospel, and because of the pull of the Holy Spirit, you respond to the gospel. And at that moment, you're born again. So the, now, I'm going to give you a couple of theological terms. So if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. So at that moment, because we have trusted in Christ alone, our sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. The righteousness of Christ is uh, transferred into our accounts spiritually. And we are saved from our sin. And Romans 5 talks about the fact that uh, we've been justified. Uh, to be justified means that you've been born again. The righteousness of Christ has been transferred to you. You've been adopted, Romans 8, into the family of God. Legally, judicially, that can never be changed. At the moment you're born again, you have eternal life. You don't get eternal life if you live a good life and then you die uh, thanking God at the last moment. No, the moment you trust in Christ, you are given eternal life, and at that moment... It cannot be lost because Romans 11:22 says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now, so at that moment, you're justified. Now, you're born again. But now that you're born again, now you're going to start the Christian life. You're going to start the race. Well, babies can't even, they can't even walk. And they can't even crawl. This is, what's ha this is what happens in the Christian life. You may be a mature man, but spiritually speaking, you've been born, but now the whole thing is, is to now grow and to start getting some um, spiritual food and to start getting some encouragement and to start the process. And it's slow growth, but you begin the process. This is called sanctification, technically. And it's part of salvation. We tend to look at salvation, oh, the person received Christ, they, they've asked Christ in their life. Absolutely. But see, that's a part of it. You've got justification, and then part of salvation when Christ calls us to himself, not only does he justify us, but now he's going to help sanctify us as we walk through life. It might be, you know, it might be 60 years, 70 years, it might be 20 years, whatever breath you have left before you're called to heaven. But in the interim, you're going to grow. In the interim, you're going to fail. In the interim, you're going to be excited. Then you're going to be depressed. Uh, you're going to, you know, what's the old phrase? Three steps forward, two back. It's, it's not perpetual growth like, uh, or a flash like Haley's Comet. It's just, it's just tough sledding. It's a marathon. So you, you pull your hamstring. You get cramps. Some days you don't want to run at all. Okay. 
This is the sanctification part. Uh, it's a struggle. It's hard. And it's not, well, man, I want to be a, I want to be a better Christian. That's great. But, but see, living this Christian life is not going to a seminar on willpower. And it's not resolving and screwing up your resolve. And man, I'm just going to try harder and harder. What it is, this is really wild, is that work that was done for us when Christ invaded our lives and gave us eternal life and brought us to himself. And this was the discussion I was having with some guys last couple of weeks. Well, how does this work? I mean... How does this work? Well, it's not willpower. It's not trying to do better. But is, so, so does God do all the work? And I had an email recently from a guy, and he said, explain this sanctification thing to me. I've heard, I've been in the church all my life. I hear all these different theories on how you're supposed to do this. And I've heard them too. Um, and all these little formulas. Let go and let God. Well, well that's fine, except I don't see that in Scripture. Now, I see the concept of rest. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. But you've got to take all the Scripture. Does it mean you just become passive? I don't think so. Uh, this is where I'm going here. Oh, by the way, before I forget, and, and after you've run your race, and when you take your last breath, which God has already determined when you will take your last breath, your last breath is your best breath because to die is gain. That's the fact of the matter. You don't have to fear death because Jesus beat death. Um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the struggle with sin ends the moment you die because you have eternal life. You're immediately in the presence of Christ. And see, what that's called is glorification. Won't that be good? No more struggle, no more fight. The race is over. And you say, when is that coming? We don't know, because in the Christian life, you can't see the finish line. As we said the first night, the Christian life is sort of like those guys that row in the, uh, the Oxford crew. You've seen those, those shells, those sleek, and those guys in synchronization. I had a buddy that rowed for the Oxford crew, and uh, he told me the hardest thing for him to get used to and he'd been an athlete in a lot of different competitions. The hardest thing for him to get used to was that he couldn't see the finish line. When you're rowing one of those things, your back's to the finish line. So what do you do? How do you pace yourself? How do you encourage yourself? Well, you don't look at the finish line. You look at the guy at the end of the boat called the coxswain. You fix your eyes on him. And see, he sees the finish line. And he encourages, he paces, he sees the other boats. You keep your eyes on him, and he gets you to the finish line. That's Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Just know this. He's got the finish line marked, and when you hit that last breath, <laughs> that's the best moment of your entire life. Because all the hardship, all the difficulty is over. And you will be glorified forever. No more, no more sickness, no more sorrow. No, it's over forever and ever. That's why the Bible calls whatever we're dealing with momentary light affliction. Because in that perspective, it's light. 
isn't it? But if you don't have that perspective, it's very, very heavy and very, very depressing. So now, how do you run this Christian life? Let's go to Philippians 2. How, how do you do this? And what part do we play? I mean, do we just let go and let God? Do we just have eternal rest? I mean, do we just... I mean, how do you do this stuff? Look at Philippians 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now watch this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, right there, there's a work we do. Is there not? Yeah, there's a work we do. And what is the work that I do? Try to screw up willpower. Try to just, you know, just, well, what do I do? I work out my salvation. Well, what's salvation? It's something that's been given to me. So I possess it. I have it. But you see, what I'm learning to do is, is, is to work it out, is to apply it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Watch this. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he, he has done this work in my life, and there is a, so, so he has done the work. What he wants me to do is to be aware that he is at work and that he wants me to, now to be aware and to be watching and to be attempting to sort this out and work it out and, and figure it out as I'm walking through life. And, and in that process, we grow. Um, flip over to 1 Peter, actually 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us or has gifted to us, watch this, everything pertaining to life and godliness. So you see, I have everything I need for life and godliness. He has given it to me through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he granted to us his prescience and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We don't immediately, here's what I'm trying to say, we don't immediately put all the pieces together. It's a process. And the Lord's overseeing the process. But as we work on the process, um, we grow and the Spirit of God energizes us. And I, I don't know about you, but in my estimation, three of the most frightening words in all of life are some assembly required. I mean, those can ruin your Christmas Eve. Can't they? Oh, you've had it happen. I've had it happen. I remember years ago when we lived in Coppell, I found this um, game, this, uh, what do you call that with the, with the balls? It looks like a hockey game, uh, foosball. I find this thing at Sam's or somewhere. And I'm looking at it. I thought, you know, that'd be, that'd be a blast. We may never play with it beyond that week, but 
That'd be some fun. We'll stick it in the garage. And I thought, I'm going to buy that thing. And uh, I mean, the price was so good, I bought eight of them. <laughs> you know how that those wholesale clubs. Now, I bought one. And then I'm, you know, I got it, and I'm, it's all boxed up, and I'm heading um, to the counter. And all of a sudden, I thought, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I went and got the manager, and I said, hey, I asked you something. Have you, have you seen this put together? And he goes, oh, it's, it's no sweat. <laughs> I said, OK, good. And uh, I believed him. And I stashed it at my neighbor's house in his garage. And then uh, the kids, you know, went to bed, and I don't know. So late Christmas Eve, I pulled this thing out. And I start opening this multi-page instruction manual <laughs> that says, some assembly required and an engineering degree from MIT. <laughs> well, I didn't go to MIT. I went to MIC, K-E-Y, <laughs> M-O-U-S-C, and it was hellacious. I mean, we didn't use it the whole week because it wasn't assembled. <laughs> but see, that's Christian life. Some assemblies required. Have I been given everything? Was everything in the box? Yeah, but some assemblies required. Well, see, I'm trying to work this out. You know, I'm trying to figure out now, you know, my, this balance. I'm trying to figure out this balance between, between my career and my family. Oh, you haven't figured that out yet? No. Well... Some assemblies required. You, what do you do? You just, and how do you find, yeah, I'm trying to find that balance. Well, you know how you find balance in the Christian life? It's like riding a bicycle. How did you learn to ride a bicycle? Well, I remember my bike, my dad got, you know, I had this little bike and behind the alley, and that's where I'd ride my bike, and, and my dad had the training wheels on it. And I remember the day my dad said, you know, Steve, let's, we're going to take these training wheels off. And I said, oh, Dad, I don't know. And he goes, oh, it'll be fine. And, I'm going to take them off, and then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to just, just run right with you on your bike, and I'm going to have my hand on the seat. And he said, oh, okay. And he said, I'm going to walk right with you. And then, and then at a the certain time, he was going to take his hand off the seat. I mean, I'm excited. I'm 19 years old. I mean, we're going to do this thing. <laughs> and, and so, you know, everything's fine, and I keep looking to see if his hand's there and his hand's there. And I look back, and I'm doing fine. And then he takes his hand off. And then what happens? You lose balance. Well, how do you find balance? By losing it. Because when I go this way, then I That's the Christian life. Is it not? Yeah. yeah. So there's a work that God has done for us. He has supplied us everything we need. But our work is to pay attention to it. This is our work. We, uh, I would give you again the verse that we looked at last week, which was First Timothy four sixteen, where he tells Timothy here, "Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching." See, those are two things. Pay close attention to what you believe. Pay close attention to the scriptures. Pay close attention to what is true. But also, pay close attention to yourself. Pay close attention to your life. And we talked last week about how many guys, spiritual leaders, we have observed and seen, and it's just a tragedy. 
when a guy has a great ministry and is a great Bible teacher, and then it turns out he's had some hidden life of multiple affairs. But he's so strong in the Scriptures. The guy that influenced me when I was in college, I heard him, and I thought, you know what? I don't know how he got all that stuff. And I went up and asked him, I said, where'd you, go to, where'd you, where'd you learn this? He said, I went to seminary. So where'd you go to seminary? And I thought, I'm going to that seminary. Now, what I didn't know was that as he was teaching the Bible all over the country and teaching me and a bunch of, a bunch of people, he had ongoing multiple affairs as he traveled around the country. And he was a pathological liar. Absolute pathological. Man, he was strong in the scriptures. He was all over the scriptures. I remember a friend of mine was going to attend a certain seminary, and this guy called him up and said, you don't want to go to that seminary because they are weak scripturally. They may be weak scripturally, but I don't see a lot of those guys living the lives you do, living the life you do. And he had no conscience about it. How can that happen? Well, he was paying close attention to his teaching, but he wasn't paying any attention to his life. He wasn't working out his salvation. And I think you got to ask, did he really have salvation? To be quite honest, and, and I don't know, I'm not the judge. But if you look at uh, Matthew, take a look at, uh, we keep flipping around here, don't we? But once again, I remind you, this is called Bible study. Note uh, Matthew uh, 7, verse 15. Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their behaviors. You will know them by how they live their lives. And then he goes on and explains this whole concept that a good tree can't bear bad fruit. They look like the real thing, but they're not. Notice 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day. He doesn't say a few or some. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And he never denies that it was done. But then note 23, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice, practice lawlessness. That's frightening to me. So you see, I hope it frightens you. You you know the good thing about being concerned about your life and your salvation I've had guys say to me, you know, Steve, I just struggle with sin so much. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. And I say, hey, listen, man. If you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't give a rip. I mean, to me, that's evidence. Why are you worried about this? Why are you concerned? Because you have a heart for the Lord. You want to honor Him. You want to please Him. You want to follow Him. You're mindful of this. Were you mindful of this before you came to Christ? No. This is evidence, you see. So, um, 
there was a movie. How's that for being vague? <laughs> I can't remember the title of it. Um, what was that movie? Give me a second. Uh, uh, Billy Crystal and Jack Palance and the Dude Ranch. City Slickers. Okay. Yeah. So there was this scene. So Billy Crystal is, you know, and a couple of his buddies in the fast lane business world in L.A., and they go to this dude ranch. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Jack Palance is the old-fashioned, tough cowboy who, you know, is not around much anymore. And uh, so anyway, they're, they're out talking. And here's the dialogue. Palant says, uh, cowboys lead a different kind of life when there were cowboys. Now they're a dying breed. Still means something to me, though. In a couple of days, we'll move this herd across the river, drive them through the valley, and I'll tell you, there's nothing like bringing in a herd. And Crystal says, you see, that's great. Your life makes sense to you. And Palance laughs. And Crystal says, what's so funny? Why is that funny? Palance says, you city folk, you worry a lot, don't you? How old are you? 38? Crystal says, no, I'm 39. He goes, yeah, yeah. You guys all come out here about the same age. 38, 39, 40. Same problems. You spend 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope. And then you come out here for two weeks, and you think you're going to untie them in two weeks. Uh, none of you guys get it. And then he pauses, and he says, you know what the secret of life is? Crystal says, no. What? And Palance holds up one finger and says, this. And Crystal says, your finger? Palance says, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and nothing else matters. Crystal says, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Palance says, that's what you've got to figure out. I find that interesting, one thing. Because if you go back to Philippians chapter 3, you're going to see how relevant those words actually were. Verse, because in the Christian life, what we're discussing is, in, in the Christian life, it's really not how you start that counts, it's how you finish. A lot of guys start strong, but the name of the game is to finish strong. We talked about last week that not everyone who starts strong finishes strong. You can have a great start, but a poor finish like Solomon. You can have a so-so finish, or you can finish strong. The majority of guys who start strong don't finish strong. Now watch this. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. There it is. One thing I do. And what would that be? Forgetting what lies behind 
and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that one of the primary ways that the enemy interrupts a man as he is pursuing Christ and running after Christ, one of the, way he one of the ways that he trips us up, one of the ways that he paralyzes us in the present is to continually bring up our past and our past failures and our past um, self-centered, narcissistic behaviors that hurt other people, damaged other people, perhaps even damages them to this day. Paul had that in his life. He held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen to death and murdered. He was an accessory to murder. And that didn't happen just once. That was his life ambition. He was the great persecutor of the church. How much pain did he cause to Christian families? To the cause of Christ. And then Christ meets him on the road to Damascus and everything changes. So as Paul is running the race, do you think as he was going to sleep at night that these thoughts of what he had done in the past and the people that he had persecuted and the people that were tortured, and all, do you think they ever came to his mind? I'm telling you they did. So what was, what was it that Paul was attempting to do to keep him on track in the race. What was the one thing? What was the one thing? Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. This, this is so central to us as we run this race. That's why Robert Murray McChain said, for every look you take at yourself and your you're falling short and your failures and your regrets. For every look, accusing blow you get from the enemy, and he is the accuser of the brother. Every time you accuse yourself, you get on yourself. McChane said, every time you look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Take 10 glances at Christ. Makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because, see, then you can go on. So, this, this is central. This is the one thing. I, uh, last, uh, last week, we, uh, we, we alluded to the 246 men that were interviewed by, by Dr. Howard Hendricks. And these 246 men were all pastors, missionaries, uh, worship leaders, guys in ministry. And the reason that he interviewed them, if, if you weren't here is that they had all gotten involved in sexual immorality within two years of each other. That's really staggering when you break that down. 246, that's 24. In two years, that's 24 months. That's 10 a month. And you don't think the enemy is serious about bringing guys down who are serious about Christ. Well, he is serious. Okay. And as Dr. Hendricks interviewed those 246 guys, and by the way, none of them were deviating from Scripture in terms of teaching. Their doctrine was solid. You know, 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and your teaching. None of them had theological, none of them were questioning the authority of the Bible, the inspiration of the Bible, or any of this stuff. 
the deity of Christ. They're solid. They're just solid. But they didn't watch their life. And they got ambushed. Okay. So he interviewed them. And I want to go over these four traits just quickly. Because what I want to do, I want to, tonight, I want to follow up those four traits. And then what I want to do is come down on the other side with positive steps we can take as we're running the race. Well, let me just do it. So the four traits those guys all had in common was number one, and it all got involved with another woman with sexual immorality. Uh, the first trait, as he interviewed with them, was they had no personal time in the scriptures. And once again, that raises the question, wait a minute, they were pastors. They, they, they were preaching, right? Yeah, well, they had to be in the scriptures. Well, they admitted to not being in the scriptures anymore. And they had, most of these guys were, most of them midlife, some 50s, you know, maybe a little older, some just a little younger. But they'd been in it long enough. They'd been in it 15, 20, 25 years. Well, you've been, as I said last week, if you've done something for 15, 20, 25 years, you've got a wealth of information in your head, and you've got some experience, and quite frankly, you can get by on less preparation than you needed when you were a rookie. Is that not true? Yeah, it is. Okay. So what these guys were doing, they were just living off their spiritual iris. They were emptying their accounts and using stuff that they had accumulated, but they got out of the, they weren't in the word at all. And they all admitted to it. And you got to ask the question, did they just up and decide one day, I'm done with scripture? I don't think so, because that wouldn't work, because they were committed to scripture. See, this is where the enemy is so subtle. I'll tell you what I think happened, because I have the, I, I'm tempted with this constantly, as you are. It's just the busyness of my life. And you know, in the morning, I got 10, 15 things on my list. And you're working like a madman to return emails and complete this and take these calls and finish this and do that. And, and you get to the end of the day, and maybe you knocked off 12, but you got 17 more on the list. You know what I'm talking about? It just never ends. And so what happens is we get so cotton-picking busy that something's got to go. And what tends to go is the most important thing. If um, you talk to Dr. Cooper down at the aerobic center or read his books, now, there are some guys that run 50 miles. There are some guys that run ultramarathons. But I remember reading the aerobics book, and Dr. Cooper said that if you you know, do that exercise, get that point system. And he said, usually if you work this with different exercises, <clears throat> if you give 20 minutes three times a week, you can hit where you need to be. Now, if that's true for physical endurance, how about spiritual endurance? Well, you're supposed to be in the Word every day. Yeah, I know, but you're not in it every day, and I'm not either. Now, I try to be. On the days I travel, I don't even worry about it because it's just insane. The last 10 days, seven out of the last 10, I've been interrupted off my normal routine. And I don't like that. 
Because when I get up in the morning, I get my coffee and I get my Bible. But I had to go get a physical early. And the next day I had an appointment with the CPA. And I, I, it, just, it just screws me up. And Mary said, so you're going over that appointment? I go, she said, yeah. She said, you know, you always have to wait there. So I, you know, I did, I took my stuff. And I was in the waiting room and I just did my, I read my scriptures and made my notes and, but, but see, I was out of, but see, it's so easy to get so busy, you just don't do it. And you want to do it, okay. So they got out of the word. Secondly, uh, these 246 guys had no accountability. And to me, Chuck Swindoll's definition is the best I've heard. Accountability is a willingness to explain your actions. We've all got stuff in our lives, and we, none of us want anybody probing us. But you can't live the Christian life by yourself. And when you're in an accountable relationship, you're willing to explain yourself. You don't need to be accountable to 800 people, but you should have two or three people in your life that go through life with you, with whom you're honest. And they can ask you anything, and you can ask them anything. It's just a Christian life. Jesus didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. So the, the Christian life is a team sport. I've said it before, there are two things you can't do by yourself. You can't get married by yourself, at least not yet. <laughs> I'm sure that's coming. The other thing you can't do by yourself is live the Christian life by yourself. Whenever I, and I'll tell you what happened to these 246 guys. Every single one of them got isolated. And there, there were no significant relationships other than just superficial, how you doing, yeah, 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 yeah. No depth, no honesty. Years ago, I was involved with, in a Bible study and there were a number of guys in that Bible study that went to a particular church. And on one morning, they were all up in arms because they were having a men's event at their church and their pastor had invited a very prominent, well-known pastor, nationally known, who had uh, been involved in sexual immorality and was not, um, to anyone's knowledge, repentant or reconciled. And they were all up in arms because this pastor invited this guy to come and speak. And they were upset. And he had just invited me a couple of months before to speak at the inaugural kickoff of their big quarterly men's deal. And then the next guy coming in was this guy. So I called him up. And I said, hey, uh, I'm just checking in with you. You know, a bunch of your guys come to the study. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know about that. And I said, you know, I just wanted to run this by you because I, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out and I thought the best thing to do was just call you and ask you. I understand you've invited this guy and he's speaking at this next one. He goes, he goes, and you could, man, you could just, he was just dripping with defensiveness. Well, yeah, yeah, I have. What's that to you? I said, well, I'll tell you what it is to me. I think you're out of bounds. And, and I'll tell you what, it, you're, you're, you're losing credibility with your men. I said, this doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense. And I'm not going to go behind your back and say that. I'm just telling you straight out. You just had me in. And your guys are asking me. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be there 
And what I'm going to tell them is, I w you shouldn't go either. I mean, I, you're asking my counsel? I wouldn't go. That guy's in sin. So I'm just telling you straight up, man. I, can, you, and I, can you explain to me? And he, and he, was, he said, well, I'm not sure I owe you an explanation. I said, you know, I kind of think you do. Because, man, you had me in, and you wanted me to talk on being a one-woman kind of man and all that, and I did, and now this guy is everything except a one-woman kind of man. And quite frankly, I don't want to be associated with that. So can you give me an explanation? Well, it's, 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 it's complicated. And then he went on, and, well, then I wasn't shocked within six months. It turns out he's got an affair going on in his church with some chick. And he was out of there. He was canned within months. Well, that makes perfect sense. But he was defensive, and he wasn't going to give an account to anybody. I wonder what kind of account he gave to his wife. Okay, here's the third thing. And this kind of goes right along with that. 80% of the guys... Um, who got involved in sexual immorality, it happened to them by counseling women. So, and, and you know, they're pastoring and they're talking to these gals, and sometimes there's an emotional connection. And if, you know, things aren't going well at home and that happens in marriages, and this gal walks in and you don't intend, but suddenly there's chemistry. You really gotta, I mean, look out for chemistry with a woman you're not married to. Okay. And it can be, you know, at your place of work, a receptionist, or somebody, you just, wow. You're just kind of drawn to them. Okay. So the fourth thing is, they all said, I thought it would never happen to me. So those are the four traits running through their lives. So now, as we said last week, if, if the enemy used that in the lives of 246 guys, I think there's a fairly good... I think there's a fairly good chance that he's going to try and use that with me. Don't you? Yeah. Okay. So, we gave the negatives. Let's give the positives. So, as I'm running the race, yeah, those are the negatives, but what are the positives? What are the positive steps I can do and that I need to do? Because, you see, I'm to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So when I'm working it out, that means, as I'm working it out, that means huh, uh, see, there are certain things that I used to do, but I don't do them anymore. Give me a second. Uh, go to Ephesians 4, verse 20. Yeah, here we go. I'll just jump in the middle. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your old manner of life, you lay aside the old self. See, one of the things I do when I'm working out my salvation is I lay aside things that I used to do. I lay them aside and I do something else. Uh, you lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and the holiness of truth. Watch this. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Man, did you used to lie? I mean, if you were breathing, you were lying? Don't do that anymore. And see, lying is a habit. So what do you do? You put in that, you're, you're working out your salvation, and you start to lie. And then, Well, how do I stop that? Well, the next time you tell somebody a lie, just stop and say, you know what? That's not true. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I, I almost told you something that wasn't true. You say, I couldn't do that. Yeah, you could. Try it. Well, that would be embarrassing. It absolutely is embarrassing. But try it sometime. You know, I, I wasn't truthful with you. And, you know, you have to forgive me. I am really trying to be truthful in all my relationships and forgive me. Well, is that guy going to say, you, you worthless, worthless, lying, whitewashed sepulcher. How could you do Is he going to do that? No, because he struggles with the same thing. You see, you'll probably encourage him. Man, I, I'm just I'm trying to work on just telling the truth. Well, gosh, I am too. You see? Uh, be angry, yet don't sin. Don't let the sin go down in your anger. So you say, you know, Lord, I, I, I don't get this. I don't, know, I don't know why I'm angry. Would you help me? I, I don't want to be angry all the time. I don't even know how to do this stuff. Would you help me? Just, I, I, I don't even know why. Well, he knows why. Okay. He who steals, verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must work, performing with his own hands what is good. All the way through here is talking about laying off the old self and putting on the new. You see how this works? What is that? That's working out your salvation. Okay. All right. Let's go back to Philippians. Am I making sense here? You guys seeing this? Okay. All right, now let's get the four positives. And they all begin with the word stay, S-T-A-Y. I've been cleaning out storage in my office, and I found something that a guy gave me maybe 15 years ago. A wooden block, really sharp. And he was a woodworker. And on the top of it, it says, finish strong. And then on four sides, he's got the four stays. And I don't know why it was. I just put it around on my desk. It's pretty neat. Let me give you the four stays, then we'll work through them. The first one is stay in the word. The second one is stay close to a friend. The third one is stay away from women. The fourth one is stay alert to the enemy. All right, let's break these down. You say, all right, the first one's what? Stay in the word. Because the 246 guys used to be in the word, but they got out of the word. So what do I need to do? I need to stay in the word. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 
Uh, the Lord speaks to Joshua. He's taking over from Moses. Incredible, incredible task of responsibility. Joshua 1, verse 5, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. See, there's the work of God. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now, here's his work. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Watch this. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my service, servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. You've got to be in the Word. Deuteronomy 32, it's not an idle word for you, it is your life. Matthew 4.4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. No, no. Why, why is it I can pick up Sports Illustrated, I can pick up uh, the Wall Street Journal, I get no resistance. I go to pick up my Bible and I get resistance. Why is that? He doesn't want me in this Word. Does he? Because there's power in the Word of God. There's spiritual nutrition. There's spiritual power. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy, what? Word. How do you fight off pornography? You've got to put the Word of God in your heart and in your mind. You've got to memorize Scripture. Uh, Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but watch this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You put the Word of God in your mind, you put the Word of God in your heart. And does that mean you immediately don't ever deal with sexual temptation? No, you're going to deal with it. But now you've got something to fight with. Now you've got something to work with. See? Okay. So you want to stay in your Word. And, and listen, there's all kinds of ways you can do it. You've got a long commute? Yeah, I always listen to the news for, right? Listen to the news and then turn it off and then um, listen to the Gospel of John. You can get a CD or a, a Bluetooth or, a, or something. They can, they can implant a chip in your molar. I, I don't know what you do. But do you work out? All right, well then listen to John 6. See, you just got to work it in somehow. There's all, these, there's all this technology. You can do it. It's just a matter of thinking through your time a little bit. You don't have to be sitting in a library at the seminary going through all... Just put in a disc in your car and listen to the Word, and then if something hits you, stop. Turn it off and just think about it a little bit. Lord, help me with this now. I'm, I've got to face this today at work. Okay, you're getting this, aren't you? Stay in the Word. Here's number two. See, that's a positive you can do. That's a step you can do to work out. Uh, here's number two. Stay close to a friend. Why? Because the guys that went down, the 246 guys, they sealed them off from friends. They, they, <laughs> they built walls around them so that no friends could get into their lives. So you think about David. David, man, David just had a tremendous start. He unifies the nation. God's, he's never defeated in battle. What is that, 1 Samuel 11 or 2 Samuel 11? I always get, I can never remember that text, but I'll tell you real quick what it is. 
all the way through, let me just take a look here. Come on, I can't even turn the page here. Yep, 2 Samuel 11. All the way through 2 Samuel 10, the blessing and favor of God is all over David. And then you get to 2 Samuel 11. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sins of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. David should have been with his men. But what did he do? Well, apparently he had a jacuzzi installed on his rooftop, and, you know, he, send the boy, he sends the boys out, and he just decided he's going to just kind of chill. And then you know the story. What happened? Well, he's on the rooftop. You know, he's got the highest roof, and he looks down, and here's this gal, and she doesn't know she's being watched, but he sees her, and Bathsheba, and then there you go. Now, you say, what does that have to do with accountability? His closest friend in his life was Jonathan. Jonathan is dead in 2 Samuel 11. He's been killed in battle. I don't see that David ever replaced that friendship. Now, let me tell you what I think would have happened if Jonathan had been alive. And David's on that jacuzzi soaking. I think he would have gone up those stairs. I think he would have opened that door and walked right over to David and said, what the heck are you doing? Get your butt out of there and get your gear and let's go. Well, you can't talk to me like that. I'm the king. Don't give me that king crud. I knew you when you were a chumping shepherd down there. and <laughs> you, were, you were up to your knees in sheep residue. Don't, don't pull that king stuff on me. By the way, I should have been king anyway. Get out of there and let's go. What are you doing? This isn't you. This isn't what you're like. Well, well, you just, just be quiet and get out of there and let's go. Well, nobody could talk to him that way. See, see this accountability thing, it doesn't just happen in, well, let's get three or four guys and let's have an accountability group. Well, I, quite frankly, I'm not doing that. I don't know you. I have no track record with you. I don't know if I share something, if you can keep a confidence. See, it's got to be somebody you know. It's somebody you got a little history with. It's somebody you trust. And you don't need a lot of people, but you need a, you need a couple. And they can ask you anything, and you'll give them a straight answer. It, it saves you, doesn't it? Yeah, and you should be able to ask them anything. And you look out for each other. We're all prone to wander. Your wife should be able to ask you. Well, you, you have no business asking. You, I'm the spiritual head. Well, then why don't you act like it? Act like it. Don't be defensive. If you've got something in the dark, it needs to be in the light. Doesn't it? Yeah, okay. So what do you do? You stay close to a friend. You don't seal yourself off. Uh, I was reading a quote today by Samuel Johnson, and he says, I'm, this isn't the exact quote, but as a man goes through life, he needs to keep his friendships in constant repair. Constant repair. Keep those friendships clean and right. Again, you don't need a lot of them, you just need a few. Here's number three. Stay away from women. If you're not married to her, keep your distance. Uh, and understand what I'm saying here. 
you're a gentleman, you're polite, you're courteous, but you watch your emotions. You watch your interest level. Am I making sense? Especially if she's attractive to you. Then be very, very careful. Well, she's just a fine, she's, she's a wonderful Christian lady. I'm sure she is. So keep your distance. You see, as I said last week, you know, when chemistry happens, you know, explosions can happen out of chemistry. So if you sense a little bit of chemistry, just take a step back. Say, man, you, you, I mean, this is, come on. I mean, isn't this a little extreme? We, we had a couple years and years ago at our house for dinner, and in the midst of the dinner, the gal really opened up. It was, she just had something. I mean, she really was transparent. And she felt like she could do it, and it was appropriate, and that was fine. But a couple days later, I was thinking of her and wondering how she was doing, and I thought to myself, I'm going to give her a call and see how she's doing. And you know what? I didn't do it. But I said to Mary, I said, you know, Mary, maybe you ought to give her a call and just follow up. Mary said, I thought about that this morning. You couldn't call her? Well, I could have, but I just thought it'd be better if Mary called her. Because, see, I know my own heart. I scare myself. I'm afraid of me. I really am. My biggest problem is me. So just be careful. And here's the next one. Stay alert. Stay alert. Okay. Why? Because Peter says your adversary, the devil, is going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, he is. So you need to be alert. Okay, so now how do I be alert? Watch this. By staying in the word. That keeps you alert. By staying close to a friend, that keeps you alert. By staying away from women that are attractive to you, you're being alert, aren't you? Yeah. So I'm driving up here, thinking about this, and whatever that street is out there. And there are a couple of hotels there, and there's that 7-Eleven. And I'm just there at the stoplight, and I'm thinking about this and going through. And all of a sudden, out of that hotel comes this gal jogging. <laughs> and suddenly, I was distracted. She was attractive. She was in a form-fitting something. And she looked pretty dang good. I saw her. I couldn't help but see her. And I caught myself and I looked away, but I really... And I looked over there one more time. And I thought, that's it. That's it. So I just had to kind of look at that light. There were three lights. <laughs> Don't look at that one. Look at that one. So I'm just kind of looking at that one. And I'll tell you this, it was a little bit of a struggle. 
because she was attractive. I'm just trying to apply this stuff. It's easy to teach, but the name of the game is to apply it and work it out. And we need his help, don't we? So Father, help us to watch over our hearts. Thank you that you're for us, that you forgive us, that you understand us. Thank you that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. You have given us eternal life in Christ and you are going to get us to where we need to be. But we want to we want to grow and we want to mature and we do not want to step out from under your protection. We don't want to step out from the word, step out from obedience. Keep us close to the shepherd. Thank you for your forgiveness and mercy when we confess our sins. You are faithful to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we just keep following the shepherd, not looking back, but looking to him. In his name we pray, amen.